and I had to really, you know, intentionally keep people around me that I think for all of us, we, we care deeply. And so our identity can sometimes start to get tied up in that caregiving that we are the helpers and we're the problem solvers and we're the activists. And so I need the people around me who, who see me as a fully formed human being outside of that work and see me in, you know, that I can be safe in my identity simply as a human being. And when you can sort of exhale and get that space, that really helps, you know, sustain you for this work that is very public and unnaturally so. You're listening to Upside Down, a podcast on spirituality and culture. No topic is off limits, so join us for unscripted conversations on God's upside-down kingdom. Hope is still possible, even when the pain of the world feels like too much. What if kindness, empathy, and compassion are the way forward? I am Kayla Craig, and I will be your host for episode 52, Hope as Resistance. With me are my podcast partners in crime, Lindsay Wallace. Hello. (laughs) Elisa Molina. Hey there. And Gina Silberto. Hi, everyone. You guys didn't know I was going to like make you say a little like, hello. I'm, I'm never <laughs> sure if I'm supposed to do like every time. We're just like two years in and it's still like, what is happening? And, and Alisa and Gina are newer hosts to Upside Down Podcast. And we are just thrilled to have them with us to talk with a special guest to our digital table, John Pavlov. Pa- oh my gosh. I knew I was going to mess that up too. John Pavlovitz. Did I say it right, John? Yes, you did. And, you know, and I, I tell people even my mother got it wrong a lot, so don't worry about it. <laughs> and you know what? I practiced. I practiced. I was like, I can do this. This is easy. I can do hard things. And yeah. It's intimidating. It really is. That Z scares everybody. <laughs> Well, John, you're a writer, a pastor, an activist, and I was thinking about our listeners, and I was thinking, you know, our listeners have probably seen your post shared somewhere on Facebook, and it's either either making them say, yes, this, or it's making them really, really angry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that, yeah, so hopefully the more of the former than the latter listening in, but hey, that's still good. Yeah. And in the past five years, John's blog, Stuff That Needs to Be Said, reached an audience of millions. In 2017, he released his first book, A Bigger Table, and his second book, Hope and Other Superpowers, arrived in 2018. John, welcome to the show. It is wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. We're so glad to have you. And before we begin, we just wanted to take a second to give a quick shout out uh, to remind you guys that reviews mean so much to Upside Down Podcast. Yes, reviews. So you can help this little podcast that could, as we've been calling it lately. So if you're (laughs) listening on an iPhone, it's super easy to leave a review. You just launch the Apple Podcast app. Tap the search button in the right-hand corner of your screen, enter Upside Down Podcast, and then you tap the review tab, write a review right there at the bottom of your screen. So we're super grateful um, for our Upside Down community and for those of you who leave reviews, you've probably heard us say it helps people find the podcast. And so that's what we're trying to do. And we wanted to highlight some of your diverse voices and the reviews that you've been leaving us lately. One reviewer wrote, love the podcast. I'm a dad of three-year-old twins and a two-month-old, so I especially appreciate the aspects of the podcast that cover being a parent and living out your faith. Thanks so much for doing the podcast. 
And another wrote, just found the podcast a couple weeks ago and I'm totally hooked. This is seriously the podcast I've been looking for. I'm a Catholic with a heart for ecumenism and uh, authentic non-whitewashed Christianity. So you guys are speaking my, my language. Thank you. And we love this one from Paul. And he sent us this message when he joined the Upside Down Tribe on Facebook. And he said, I just recently started listening. Yours is one of the few podcasts I found that discusses living in the kingdom of God now. So thank you guys so much. It really, it doesn't just like light fire to our ego. It really helps people find us, like Lindsay said. And we just want to let you know that we're really grateful. We hear your feedback. We hear the good, bad, and ugly. And we are here for it. So without further ado, we're going to jump right in like we always do. (laughs) over here. We don't don't swim in the shallow end here. So we're just going to dive right in. And I'm just thinking about what we were going to call our conversation today. And I kind of landed on hope as resistance. And I thought resistance can be kind of a loaded word. And then I thought, no, you know, actually hope can kind of be a loaded word too. And words matter. I think we all agree. We're, We're all writers. We're all speakers, thinkers. So words matter. And they can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So I want to know for all of you, what do words like hope and resistance mean to you? Well, I will be glad to start if that's okay. Go for it, John. Sure. Yeah, I mean, sure. You know, I spent the last uh, year writing a book with the word hope in the title. And I really had to think as I began, you know, what does that mean to me? And people were remarking initially that that word has sort of hope has been sort of softened. It's been turned into just some sort of hallmarky idea that's really nebulous and and sort of soft. And I I began to think about it as um, the thing that propels us into days that we wouldn't otherwise want to walk into. And so it really does tie into that idea of resistance well in that there, you know, we get up every day and it doesn't take long. We just you know, check Twitter or we watch the news and there can be a number of reasons to feel uh, quite um, dejected. And I think what hope does is is says to us, it's that thing that says, if I keep going, this is going to yield something, even though I can't see what that thing is right now. So that's a little bit of just kind of how I began this exploring this idea of hope. This is Gina and John. I completely agree with that. I think I thought so intensely about hope because I work for the Dominican sisters of hope. And I'll just say like, I don't have kids. And one of the things that makes me so nervous about having kids is like having to name them. Cause I don't like you choose a name and they like have it forever. And so these women named themselves because this is a longer story, but basically they created a new entity to become the Dominican sisters of hope. So they had, they came from congregations that were named, but then in 1995 had had to name themselves and chose hope hope which continues to blow my mind um mm-hmm. and yeah I've talked to them so extensively about it and different sisters and they touch on exactly what you just said John like working for something but knowing that you might not see the fruit of it so hope isn't necessarily optimism and they'll always say that like it's it's different it's not just saying like oh we're excited about this or we feel good about this or we're happy about this like sometimes you yeah. sort of feel bad about this but you still work towards something that you think is right. And it's not because you're necessarily going to reap the reward. Hmm. I love it. That's good. I think similar to what you're both saying, I can't really think of hope without thinking of imagination. Um, And so if I 
if I have those days where, you know, you wouldn't get out of bed except for the hope that it's going to be different, I have to imagine that better, different thing, right? Like I have to be able to imagine um, what the world could look like if it were a better place. And so for me, I would say that hope is really closely tied to um, to the word imagination. Oh, I love that. And you know, I, I've been using the word aspirational, mm-hmm. that it's that that's the impulse. It's to say, yeah, there's this leaning towards something, but yeah, you don't. And then it's trying to wrap your mind around what, what might that different world look like. Yeah, so I love yeah. it. I think when I hear aspirational, this is Kayla, and it makes me feel, uh, that's like an interesting word to choose because aspirational makes it feel like it's out of touch. And I feel like hope is this thing that's not tangible and yet it's fully there like it's this invisible you know we're part of this upside down kingdom where it's here and yet we can't put words to it and we can see it but but we can't we can't really see it and it's just this it's it's a mystery it's a mystery of of something more and maybe not even more in the future but the more right now if we have like Lindsay was saying the right imagination to see it And I kind of just look at it. um, Hope to me is very much about like this steadfastness, uh, despite whatever is going on. Hope just is it's there. It's resilient. And that's kind of resistance for me also. It it just has to be kind of steady um, and um, available. And it can't really be something that um, I think sometimes, um, you know, when we do uh, make hope out to be something like a you know la la land or or pretty and butterfly. Uh, I think that we we forget that uh, really it's this strong kind of steadfastness uh, in in all sorts of situations, good ones and and bad ones. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And and resistance. How how do you feel like that word in this context? What does that mean to you in your everyday lives? I think resisting like standards of measurement, right? Like measuring ourselves by money or by prestige. Um, I don't know. That's what comes to mind for me. I think there's a more justice meaning too. But I also kind of wanted to say, Elisa, like, I don't know if it's just me, but I also find hope like kind of hard. Like it's hard to like be steadfast, yeah. right? <laughs> like right. I don't know. When I look at the sisters too, they're so joyful. And I don't, maybe that comes with age as well, but I don't know, like being steadfast or like imagining a better world, especially when you're not thrilled with the world as is, like that's hard. So if anyone mm-hmm. else out there feels that way, like I am there with you. <laughs> this is one I struggle with. Yeah. And I, I think uh, for me, it's, it's almost a discipline to get up every day and to sort of cultivate that hope again, mm-hmm. you know, because you, most of us, I think I, I go to sleep and then I wake up and I forget that I'm, that I'm, struggling or in despair or frustrated and then the world reminds me and then I have to sort of recalibrate again so it's almost it is a daily sort of discipline it's interesting that you say that because we took our kids camping this weekend and it was an offline sort of weekend where we were just in nature beautiful sunrises you know community with with the friends that we went with and it was just kind of a returning to uh yeah things are hopeful I mean and I'm a part of that hope. Um, and then as soon as I got back into Austin and, and checked everything, it just, it was, it was hard. It was hard to remember what I had returned to in that space of quiet and stillness. 
I, I, it's funny because I feel like I almost have the opposite of what John just described. Like I wake up every morning feeling more hopeless and I have to remind myself that I'm committed <laughs> to being <laughs> hopeful. You know, like I, that's the resistance piece for me is resisting the narrative that it can't be better or that it has to be this way or that hate wins or, you know, all those mm. things. Like for me, resistance is continuing to celebrate maybe what might seem like small, trivial things, because that for me helps to grow my hope, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I think of when I think of the word resistance is resisting to not be hopeful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And you know, this is that quote that we, you know, we've seen attributed to many people, the, the arc of the moral mm-hmm. universe is long would have been toward justice and, you know, the idea of resistance to me means resisting the things that would bend it away from justice. Mm-hmm. And then, and so we get up every day and we try to kind of be a part of that arc bending kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Elisa, you kind of alluded to this, but it makes me think about how do we find and really tangibly how do each of you to find hope in the face of the discord and anger that we see on social media, in the news, sometimes just in our own communities every single day. What is, what brings hope in your life? I think, I think just, I think justice seekers, I think, uh, you know, I think people who are really, really trying to lean into hope, um, help me. I think if I do anything in isolation, I start to, um, I start to get a little bit anxious and worried and as if things are too, the situations and the problems are too big. But if I, you know, the internet can be such a wonderful place if, if you, uh, first of all, if, if it's a tool and it's not like something that, you know, you have to have at all times, but, um, also just, I have found such, uh, inspiring people who have uh, moved me to be hopeful and have kind of showed me, uh, uh, small ways to, to, to continue the work of, of leaning in and learning. Um, so for me, I think I find a lot of hope, uh, in, in my faith, definitely, but also just in, in people who, who are hopeful, who, who are serious about work. And it's not like they don't know the problems and they, they're not aware of them, but that they're hopeful. They can find hope in it. And if they're in like, if they're on the front lines and they can be hopeful, I think that they help me definitely. Yeah. That's what I was thinking to Elisa, um, it's just like people, <laughs> like getting in front of real actual people, shutting down the internet, um, and sitting across from actual people. Because even if those actual people that I'm sitting across from completely disagree with me are not being very loving, you know, even if they're being nasty, like to sit across from a human being gives you some bit if you look for it some bit of empathy right like then you begin to see the story behind the words then you get to hear a little bit of the experience of the person who maybe is spewing hatred at you but it's different than sitting behind a screen because now you have a real live image bearer in front of you um who's who's worthy of your respect and has inherent dignity regardless of how mean and hateful they are, you know? So I think real people, um, real people is the answer for me. 
Mm, I love that. Like just in the flesh, flesh and bone. (laughs) It could be so easy to forget the power of that when we have so much communication back and forth every day. And we can easily feel like we're not alone when we're on in the sphere of the internet and technology and and even just like, you know, texting with a family member or a spouse is not the same thing as looking at them face to face and looking in their eyes or touching their hand. You know, it's there's like a humanity that can sometimes get lost if we let it. Yeah. You know, doing the work that I do right now, I travel quite a bit and I'm in a new community every weekend and you 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 get this sort of disparate group of people gathering and they may not know one another, but they begin sharing stories and, and you find how medicinal community is because despair usually happens when we feel isolated or we kind of are are solitary for too long. Mm-hmm. And and so I think that's really important. I had, I had a, a, at a Q and a, someone said, you know, John, there are two news feeds in my life. There's the one that I see, there's the social media one, and that's usually filled with the loud and the angry and the abrasive. And he said, but if on the ground, there's a different news feed. Mm-hmm. And if I get out into the community and I, I talk to people, and so he said, I've got to choose to kind of uh, dwell on that kind of truer news feed. And so that's, that's really important, I think. Yeah. 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 I think I always heard this narrative of um, <clears throat> hope is like in younger people or you know, hope is in the young people. And I never got it. Like, I was like, am I a young person by this standard? Like, do they mean like children? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, I didn't, I was very confused. And then when the Florida shooting happened at Stoneman Douglas, um, and I saw those high schoolers really stand up and I, I, you know, there's, there was like certainly a lot of anger there and controversy there, but that was the first time that it sort of clicked for me. Like, I was like, oh, someone who's younger than me is sort of like, carrying the torch in a significant way and like maybe they get it more than even I do and that was sort of my first like oh like okay like future generations are like actually okay because I feel like we also so often hear the other narrative of like oh I don't want to have bring kids into this world um mm-hmm. I don't know right yeah. Gina my when I think about what gives me hope is the same it's like two sides of the same coin for me, raising my daughter, Eliza, who has significant special needs. And so yeah, on one yeah. hand, there's this sense of really deep um, grief for her. And then there's this other side where there's like so much hope because I realize that my hope has been misplaced the whole time. And, and so we start to let those things fall aside and these expectations and these measurements of what we believe is is good and right. And we start that to me, that's hope. Because if if I measured my daughter and my hope in my daughter and what she can or can't do or what her health is or isn't, I would be hopeless. If I didn't have a bigger hope in something that is bigger and more beautiful and more meaningful than what this world tells me matters, that I, you know, (laughs) so to me, I look at my daughter and she looks at me in the eye and she listens and she laughs and she, you know, snuggles into my arms. And to me, that it gives me so much hope in face of what the world says is hopeless. Yeah, that's really. Yeah, I love beautiful. that. I was, I was, I recently heard um, Barbara Brown Taylor speak, and she she had that question 
that I think she put in a book years ago and other writers have picked it up. But the question is, what is saving you right now? And, and for me, you know, I think of that as well. My nine-year-old, you know, daily, she will sort of be sort of a, a source of unexpected, you know, life. She's sort of just a boost of oxygen. And so I think that's, that's always, uh, you know, where I find that hope. We talk a lot about hope in the face of pain and Don, something you talk about and you've written about is kind of using your personal pain um, to kind of mobilize you into action. And I'd love to unpack that here um, in this conversation too. When have you guys experienced turning pain into something more? Well, I, I can just get us started since I was sort of prepared for that based on, you know, what you had said. And, you know, the, the for me, one of the moments um, I had been writing a blog for a while and my, my dad passed away really suddenly five years ago. And a, a friend of mine was sitting across from me and she said, you know, John, I know you're grieving, but I want you to know there's sort of something else here for you. There's this there's this um, opportunity for you because you're going to. Under, you're gonna have a layer of compassion that you didn't have before. Mm-hmm. You're gonna um, have an empathy you never could tap into. And she said, "You'll kind of speak the language of, of grieving people." And so, because you're a pastor, you're gonna reach out to them and you're gonna understand them. And so, I started writing maybe three days after my father passed away, and and it felt very invasive. You know, it felt like I was sharing too much. But then I quickly realized that there was an opportunity there that people were saying, "No, this is you're, you're walking with me right now." And so, yeah, that's, that's been the case throughout most of my life. And certainly my ministry uh, is all the things that were the sources of grief or despair were actually the, the greatest assets I've had. And I think, I mean, that I can, I can just echo what you're saying completely is that at the times in my life that have been, uh, deeply painful are also the times where I have learned to look with eyes of, of love, um, much better than what I thought I was looking out into the world. I'm, I'm so much more, um, loving and, uh, willing to really kind of pay attention to the grief that everybody, like everybody is carrying some sort of grief. And so I, in those times, they have been the best teachers on. Um, I just remember distinctly during one of these times um, going outside and the sky was blue and the sun was shining, but but not for me and not for my life. And so now anytime I go outside and it's it's a beautiful, crisp day, I always... I always say a prayer for whoever it is that can't feel that sun and can't see that blue sky because I know what I know what that feels like. And so I just think grief really, really helps us can be like the best uh, teacher of of empathy and compassion if, if we let it. Yeah, love that. Lindsay, as I was thinking about this episode, I thought of um, when you were in Miami and you were kind of going through your own housing troubles, how much more passionate it made you for something that you already were passionate about, about fair housing for, for everyone in your community. And I just, I don't know. I saw that happen in you. Like this isn't, we don't like to hear it when it's happening that like something (laughs) good is going to come out of this, you know, like when my daughter was on life support, I wasn't thinking like someday I'll be able to really understand people's pain in a better way. I was, you know, like crying and it was awful. And, you know, like, you know, we need to know when 
to not say that to somebody, but there is like, that's the true human experience, right? Like I have felt this, I have experienced this, I have breathed it. And now I understand why, why it Mm -hmm. feels like that when my neighbor experiences something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the other thing that, that does, you know, we, and we still never seem to learn that when the pain is in the present tense. You know, we, we always look back and retrospectively say, oh, yeah, these formed me and these I, I grew. But yet in, when we're going through it in the present, it's hard to say, yeah, this is, oh, in a couple of months or a few years, this is going to be s- such wisdom, you know? Yeah. Well, and yeah, it's that's... kind of, we have this breakdown in what we want Christianity to be and what some of us have always been taught Christianity to be. And it's kind of this prosperity gospel that like, good things will happen to you if you are in a right relationship with God, you know, and as soon as something bad happens and you, then everything feels like it's, you know, crashing down. If things aren't going the way you want it to, if health and wealth aren't, you know, falling into your lap. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear how we move beyond sound bites and into embodied hope. You know, I don't know that I have the correct like vocabulary or language for this, but I think to me, like the physical embodiment of hope or like the image of that is if you go to a carousel, which maybe is kind of weird, but my hometown has a carousel. Um, And (laughs) like kids that are on the carousel will literally wave to their parents like every single time they pass them, (laughs) which is like 20 times. Uh And they're like super excited about it every time. Um, and I don't know that oh, like I don't get super emotional over lots of things, but that's one thing that really does it for me because I don't know. Yeah, I haven't found the language to like describe even what's happening there yet, but that's like such a physical sign of hope to me. Hmm. That's a great picture. Mm-hmm. I think maybe being I think the soundbite thing kind of um kind of hit me a little bit because I think that, um, I need to, I've been trying to learn to move beyond sound bites just in general. Um, and I think that, um, it's easy to just put things in real pretty packages and with a really great hopeful Mm -hmm. saying. And, and so I'm really, learning to be careful with my words, which is weird because when I was growing up, I just talked and I never even paid attention to anything. I just talked and talked and talked. And as I, as I'm getting older, I'm understanding that, uh, however small my circle of influence is, it's still a circle of influence. And so I've, I've got to be careful with my words and not, and, and be, and be serious kind of sometimes with, with what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. Um, and I think just possibly just living a life of, of, of joy when things are hard or when things are great and just, you know, trying to bring joy into situations that, uh, that I find myself in all the time. But yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm trying to be more careful with, with the sound bite version of myself. Mm. Well, I think our, you know, I think our faith tradition has a, as you allude, as as I'm sorry, I forgot who had said it, but alluded to that sort of uh, shiny Christianity, that sort of everything feels good, and there's no room for that sort of you know struggle or doubt or messiness. And I think really it's just about getting your hands dirty. I think you get away from the sound bites 
when you sort of um, you either get into community and you begin mm -hmm. doing something. You know, I, I talk to people about what is a lifestyle of activism look like. And it's simply using those things you have around you, the people that you know and the community that you're a part of. And you begin working toward, you know, the question I started asking as I traveled the country last year was, what kind of person does the world need? And it was a really elemental question. And people gave me answers. And I said, so now you go and be that kind of person and you do that kind of work and you make that kind of contribution wherever the, the lack or the gap is, you just try to figure out, well, how can I get into that mm. place and fill it? So it's, you know, it's really a get your hands dirty. Yeah. John, I'm really curious to hear what some of those responses that people tell you are. Like, what do they say the world needs? Well, you know, what I what I started to do was sort of write down the answers or categorize and, and then, you know, kind of put them into categories. And so there were things like, uh, compassionate people and honest people and the world needs people who are sacrificial, who are selfless, um, people who are humble and people who are honest. And so it was really sort of uh, things that regardless of political affiliation or religious tradition, people sort of had this agreement on what is the best way to mm -hmm. be human being here. Um, and then it's kind of saying, okay, well, then now that you've figured that out, now that you have that answer, so now what? And, and that's where it looks different for all of us. Um, I started, you know, listening to the stories of people who said, oh, yeah, I, I saw that there, there was a lack of compassion. And I said, well, who is not receiving compassion? And I started a nonprofit or I started a ministry or I just began doing work with my friends. And it's really that simple. It's just like following that, that sort of burden um, that, you, that you feel in the world. Hmm. I, love, I love that so much because... That I I think that's where I am in my in my stage is that I'm moving from just saying to looking at where I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Elisa, for some of us, there's kind of this temptation to just kind of like <laughs> a fork. Like there's there's half of us who have a temptation to kind of this world is so hard, bad things keep keep happening. I'm going to push, pull back. I'm going to get quiet, shutter the windows, throw in the towel, whatever it is. You know, there's kind of this side. Then there's the other side where there's a temptation to push harder, to do more, be more, kind of like save the world. Um, obviously, that <laughs> that is where I land. And I know that that's not a good place to be. Um, and they're both, I think both areas are very dangerous. Uh, because they both center ourselves. So how, this is a hard question and a question that I don't have an answer to, but how do we fight apathy while also fighting saviorism or white saviorism for some of us? Well, I'll say that I, um, I can struggle with the apathy when I feel overwhelmed, but for me, I'm more fighting the white saviorism um, on a very regular basis. So for me, that looks like, I mean, literally like in my head telling myself like, no, that's, that's not my role. No, that's not my job. No, it's not my voice that needs to be centered. And so there's that internal dialogue going on all the time, but then there's also very intentionally and consistently putting myself under the leadership of people who are typically marginalized. Um, and, and for me, that's yeah. often people of color, women of color, um, 
like anybody who has typically been marginalized that I can learn from, like I'm really intentional about doing that. And that's online, but it's also in my real life. And that very quickly puts me in my place because guess what? Turns out I don't know everything. So these people actually have lived experience. I will never have the knowledge and wisdom that they have from their lived experience, no matter how many books I read or podcasts I listen to. So it's both that like internal work, but also that external work of of decentering myself. I mean, almost constantly, you know, um, but it has to be for me, it has to be both. Yeah, I agree. I think the work is so much just pulling up a chair along people who differ from us and dialoguing. So not just listening, but also sharing. Um, And to be very honest, like I don't have a lot of opportunities in my daily life to like grab someone of a different belief system and be like, let's sit down and talk about this for an hour. Um, And so I think I'm always searching for how to actually do that beyond just ideology. Yeah, I think there's a I remember um, having a conversation with, with a few uh, people talking about Jesus and, and the stories in the Gospels and that people listening may or not be familiar, but there are a lot of instances where the Jesus students are looking for him and they can't find him and he's off to a solitary place, you know, praying. And I, you know, I, I remind people that there's this two-step sort of dance of engaging and withdrawing and that we can't do just one uh, if we just withdraw and just are by ourselves that, you know, that becomes toxic and we become just resting in the privilege that we have. But if we're always engaging, then we just begin to empty out. And so there has to be sort of that balance. And so that's a huge thing that I've been trying to figure out how to do is to be a responsible citizen of the planet and then yet take that time to pull away, to have the humility to say, I, mm-hmm. I don't need to save the world right now. I can and I and it's actually gonna. It's not a disservice to my activism to be a whole person. Um, I think it's really easy to forget yeah, that's that. That's a really good yeah. reminder. That reminds me when we are kind of stepping out and fighting injustice, and you know, intentionally neighboring and in parenting, even in some ways. Um, how do you balance this kind of intense pouring out with um, caring for yourself? What what tangibly do you guys do? Do you have practices or um, certain rhythms in your life that help you be stay <laughs> stay a healthier version of yourself? I definitely have some key people in my life that are able to kind of red flag me and say, okay, let's grab some coffee or maybe let's, you know... Um, Let's go out to dinner. You know, I have some key people in my life who are uh, really good at seeing because sometimes I think I go overboard without even realizing it. Um, But I am uh, for Lent. I have a Lenten discipline of getting up and having some some quiet time with scripture. And it's remarkable how much that is um, kind of setting the tone for me to be less frantic about trying to make sure that the world is okay at the end of the day. Mm. Because at the end of the day, it's not, it's Jesus, right? I think sometimes I forget that, that at the end of the day, he's, he's got it. I'm just a helper and he's got lots of helpers. I'm not the only one. So I have to, Mm -hmm. I have to remind myself. I found, um, a convent where, uh, they, their ministry is hospitality. And so I'm able to go there for, 
as much time as I need. Um, yeah, so this past fall, I was just feeling like uh, very busy and very noisy. And I was able to go there for like four days and just unwind. Um, so that's been a real gift for me. Obviously not a daily practice, but something that I know is there and try and take advantage of. Hmm. Yeah, I'll just be honest. I need to learn how to do this better. I don't, you know, I parenting kids. I have a lot of needs. I have a job. I have this and that. And it's just, it's really easy to feel burnt out and feel frustrated. And then, you know, that turns into a snowball effect of stress and anxiety. And then you read the news and then it gets more anxiety and more stress. And it's just kind of, it, it's easy to feel out of control and that you know, we are out of control. There are things that are very much not in our control and that's pretty much everything. (laughs) And so I like, this is a a place for me to learn and to grow. And Elisa, I just love that you have people in your life that will hold you accountable and that you have made yourself open to receiving that and that you have such a trusting relationship where they can speak in and that you can receive it and you can speak into them. Um, that's really encouraging. And I think that we all need that. We all need that community. Um, but I just wonder, like, how did you find that? Did you, have you known these people for a long time? Like, how do you get to a point where you can have that sort of relationship to, to help you stay healthy? Yeah, I think, I think, um, the, the person that I think of in, in particular is a lot like me, loves the world, uh, loves the church very much. And so, uh, we have that history. I think, you know, um, for a long time, I thought I had to have a lot of people uh, that, that were in community that would help me this, but with this, but as it turns out, you know, I'm starting to learn that there are certain people in my life for certain things. And, um, and so to, to know that this is, you know, there's one or two people who I'm able to kind of, um, realize that they have the kind of same passion, the same drive, the same love of, of humanity. Um, and to trust that person, it it has, it has kind of unfolded over the years, but, um, it has also taken me, uh, kind of learning how to trust, learning how to be vulnerable. Those are things that uh, in the last few years I've tried to learn as well. So it's all kind of together, this space that I'm in of, of learning and leaning in and also being open um, and trusting. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for sharing that. And John, I'm curious about you as somebody who is writing with this very large platform on the internet, traveling somewhere new all the time. How do you take care of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically? Yeah. You know, the, the quick joke is wine and chocolate, but I, I, (laughs) you know, I, I, I've, I found that there have been times, many, many periods throughout this sort of journey that I've realized, oh boy, I've neglected this to the, you know, enough times that you suddenly get sort of a flare up. And I had to really, you know, intentionally keep people around me that I think for all of us, we we care deeply. And so our identity can sometimes start to get tied up in that caregiving, that we are the helpers and we're the problem solvers and we're the activists. And so I need the people around me who, who, see me as a fully formed human being outside of that work and see me in, you know, that I can be safe in my identity simply as a human being. And when you can sort of exhale and get that space, that really helps, you know, sustain you for this work that is very public and unnaturally so. 
you know, I talk mm-hmm. to ministers all the time and even just being a, a minister or a pastor, a youth worker, that's a very strange thing because you're living this very private individual faith experience in a very public mm-hmm. way. So you need to sort of retreat and, and really get back to who am I without all that stuff. So I try to make sure I'm always kind of touching base with that. Mm, John, I need to send my husband to you. He's a pastor. <laughs> and we, we talk about that a lot, like that we're living it out. You know, it's kind of this fishbowl life, even if you have an awesome awesome church community and congregation and family, which we do, but there is this sense of people are watching you process very publicly what is going on in your faith and what is going on in your life. That's so true. Yeah. People don't understand the pressure involved in that and how, you know, you walk, you, you go to a small group, so you're in a small group cause that keeps you healthy, but the pastor's in our small group, you know, like it's yeah. a very, you're, you're, you're different. You just are. There's a separation that you cannot prevent because of your public mm. persona. Yeah. You kind of have to be on all the time. Yeah. My, my, my priest friends, I have, I have several close priest friends and they, you know, they have to kind of be on all the time. Yeah. So when they do get a chance to kind of be themselves, it's, it's good for them. Yeah. And that authenticity, I mean, that's really where it all is for all of us. You know, when we can be the most authentic version of ourselves, we that's where we can get that rest and recharge. And if we have to be guarded in any fashion, that's uh, always a barrier, I think, for us. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So, John, I, I know we have to to end this conversation, which is really sad. But we, you told us before we started, you have kids to put to bed, which I just love. Because <laughs> <That, Yeah. laughs> I was just struggling with one of my kids, so I'm like, okay, <laughs> not alone here. <laughs> Yeah, if a you know nine year old should probably many adults would be uh, you know wagging their fingers at me, but that's just the schedule we keep. But it works mm-hmm. for us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to kind of open up the conversation to you. Looking forward, looking ahead, uh, we're sharing this podcast coming up into the the summer months. What kind of words of hope do you have for our listeners? Um, you know, we don't know what the future holds, what what terrible things and awful things humanity will have to go through before now and then. But what words of hope do you have to kind of end this conversation? Um, gosh, well, I, th- I think. When <laughs> no I, pressure. When I get, yeah. Good, good night, everybody. <laughs> um, oh, no, um, when I get on the ground and I meet people of different communities, I see the same thing happening that, you know, compassionate people. Um, selfless people, sacrificial lovers of humanity are at work. And it's just, um, we have to tune our eyes to them. So really, it's going to be about what you choose to dwell on. You know, do you choose to dwell on hope or despair? Because you can find reason for both. And so the question I ask people, you know, is what do you know to be true? You know, what do you know about the character of of people, what do you know about diversity? What do you know about your own faith journey? Whatever you know to be true, uh, you know, the the second question is, are you breathing? And if you are, well, then you have, you have everything that you need to deal with those first questions. And so I often remind people, you know, hope is not in the politician. It's not in uh, a religious figure, you know, a pastor, and it's, it's not in a celebrity. It's simply in your personal convictions and how you choose to live those out. And you, you have everything you need. Hmm. Well, John, where can our listeners find you if they want to learn more, read more of your work? 
Uh, you can find me at johnpavlovitz.com and my name, you know, it's hard to spell, but once you get it, it's great. And you got, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff. But, uh, and then I, you know, travel all over the country, just really talking about these things in large groups of people. So it's wonderful. And I appreciate you, your time today. It's been a blast. If we ever want to do it again. Yeah, I'd love thanks to. for joining yeah, us. Yeah, we're just so glad to have you. Thank you for being on. All right. Well, be well. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. And that is the end of this episode. We are just so grateful to have these conversations and we want to give a big shout out to our patrons. Uh, We recently put out a call for friends to join us to help the Upside Down podcast pay the bills. And a few of you raised your hands and our giving community truly makes it possible for us to produce this podcast without ads. So a few bucks a month really adds up. And we just want to say thank you and give a shout out to some of our recent patrons at the time of this recording. Hannah, Shannon, Kristen, Becky, and Jennifer. Thank you guys so much. And if you go to UpsideDownPodcast.com, you can also choose a one-time giving option. We are still making up for the cost of our new recording mics that we bought. And we want to give a thank you to Heather, who generously sent a gift through PayPal and linked arms with us in this way. So thank you guys. You can learn more at UpsideDownPodcast.com or at UpsideDownPodcast on Instagram. You're always welcome to join the Upside Down Tribe listener group on Facebook to process through episodes with the lens of God's upside down kingdom. That's right. Until next time, I'm Kayla Craig. Thanks for listening.